Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. After the long Memorial Day weekend, America wakes up on Tuesday all, you know, a tanned, ready, rested, or hungover. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure. Tim, are you one of these guys that, that after a long weekend, you're just raring to go, or it's still like kind of a little bit of the fog? Slow start. I when, yeah. actually when I committed to the Tuesday pod when Jim asked me last no. week, I, I hadn't I hadn't considered it was the long weekend. So I'm going to do my best here. I'm I'm getting caffeinated. Okay. So to, seriously, this is why why I wanted you because I I wanted to have an easy pod. Just just so you know, I mean, it was like there'd be no heavy lifting. I would just basically throw it out there, and Tim would pick up the ball, and I could putting you on you my know. back today, Charlie. Yeah, I, you know, um. I suppose there's lots of ways we could back into this. I don't know how many times I'm tempted to say, and I just don't want to. I don't want to get into the the really the horrible dystopian part of all of this. But you know what? Today is the one year anniversary of the clearing of Lafayette Square. Yeah, one year seems like a long time ago. It does, and and you know I'm happy you brought that up off the top. I meant meant to mention to you in the pre-show because before the insurrection. You know, it that really was the most banana republicist, if that's a phrase, a moment I think of the, of the presidency, and and I do worry that you know that that because it was just so wheels off all the time that some of these you know um, just affronts and horrors that would have been you know the thing that you remember from the Clinton admin. Well, you I guess you'd remember Lewinsky, but you know the thing that you remember from the H W Bush or the whatever Calvin Coolidge administration um, uh, becomes something that just doesn't even get mentioned. Um, when you, when you sort of catalog, you know, all, all of the craziness that happened during Trump. And, and this is one that really can't get lost because I, it was, I, I think a very dangerous moment. Uh, I think part of the reason why it didn't quite have the staying power is that, you know, I, we were lucky that, 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 that there was no escalation, uh, that it didn't lead to unnecessary further violence. But the idea that the president with the attorney general looking on next to the chairman of the joint chiefs would clear uh, a, a protest outside the White House of all places, you know, where in, in this country, in this great democracy, uh, where you had um, uh, people protesting for for Black Lives, where you had the the actual uh, uh, minister of the St. John's Church there outside participating in the peaceful protest, getting hit with tear gas and having and getting scared and fearing for her life and having to flee, all so that he could just hold up this Bible and look like a tough guy. I, I mean, it was really uh, the holding you know, up the Bible, though. That was that was an iconic moment. It really it was, was an iconic. It was yeah, like, it's yeah, true, <laughs> but if it, right, I mean, all of this pre, all of this build up to it, you know, could get lost. I, I remember you were. I'm sure you were watching, like I was in real time. You could hear, you know, those rubber those rubber pellet grenades going off in the background, you know, because uh, uh, during the event that was happening at the White House that they were airing. At, you know, I mean, it, it was a, a frenzied time. Obviously, you know, there were protests going on all across the country. Uh, you could have seen more backlash. I mean. Had one person gotten gravely injured, uh, um, you know, trampled, whatever, during that, um, uh, you know, during that clearing of Lafayette Square, I, you can just imagine the spiral effects that it could have had. I, it was just an unconscionable, undemocratic, banana republicy, whatever you want to say, moment. And we're a year from it today. And and I and I think the other nice thing that that just happened to mark the year, actually, I'm sure you saw this over the weekend, is going through the legal process around this now the I truth did. is coming out the truth is the truth is coming out and you will be shocked to hear <laughs> that the story that was put out by the federalist and molly hemingway and donald trump was not actually correct about whether there was really tear gas and rubber rubber pellets there at uh, that afternoon it, it it is interesting what mountain you choose to die on in in my newsletter i actually have uh i i, I read I, I posted the tweet from Shannon Last, who documents all of Molly Hemingway's tweets about how the media falsely claimed that violent riots were peaceful and the tear gas was used against rioters. We now know the D.C. police is acknowledging that tear gas was used. Molly Hemingway must have put out a dozen tweets basically saying it's not true. There was no tear gas. There was no tear gas as if that was the most relevant point. But she decided that that was what she was going to double down on. Now, you know, I'm thinking back on that day because I, I actually wasn't watching it. I was I was driving in the car listening to it on Sirius XM radio, one of the one of the cable channels. And I was genuinely shocked. I remember getting out of the car 
and saying to my wife, you are just not going to believe what happened. Um, and, and this was after years of, of, you know, being shocked and wondering whether you could still be shocked by anything. Sure. But of course, you know, we're being told now this is just, you know, being too concerned about this is, is moral panic. And we can't, we can't, we can't engage in, in any uh, of this. Or I just, uh, one other thing on this, I, I think is, is worth moral just, panic. Yeah. yeah. One other thing is just worth going back to if listeners haven't. So I, I, I wrote, I sort of debunked the Molly Hemingway thing a year ago yeah, uh, in an article called the tear gas hoax hoax that you could, you could go back and read mm-hmm. that in that article, I, I linked to a raw video of uh you know that was taken at the scene i think it was a foreign uh news outlet i I can't i'm not sure going off memory but but you can uh, you know i say before you read this article stop click this link and go to the 24 minute mark and if people really didn't at the time i know it was kind of jarring and triggering you didn't want to kind of watch it but now with this distance just going back to see just what that scene must have felt like from the perspective of the protesters um it's worth a rewatch well, speaking of of anniversaries, um, yep. I, the the president, um, the the president who was elected in November, is actually going to Tulsa, Oklahoma, to mark the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa uh, race massacre. And listeners of the podcast will know that I am slightly obsessed with the Tulsa massacre because I have admitted with a great deal of trepidation that until about a year ago, I had never heard of it. And this bothers me a great deal because I do pride myself on knowing, um, you know, a modicum of American history and the fact that I had never heard of it. So I, I have spent some time asking people, smart people, educated people, did you know about this? Did you learn about it? And it is extraordinary to me that after all of the years of, you know, coming to grips with America's racial past, right? You know, the Black History Month, et cetera, that even with that, that something that big, that outlandish could have been memory hold. I, I, I still, it, it's, it's the, I'm, I'm, I'm fixated on the horror of what happened, the magnitude of what happened, the brutality of it, but the way in which it was basically that we just, you know, washed over it. It's one of those things that makes you question a lot of things. And I know we're not supposed to do that because that's kind of like moral panic and stuff. But but no. <laughs> you, 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 you have to question, okay, so what else did we not know? And and again, I, I, I mentioned that I was a little bit embarrassed to admit I didn't know it, but it, it's obviously not just me. I mean, it's, it's obviously that this is not just my, you know, moral historical failure to know about this. This was something that the country had to go to a lot of effort to forget. Yeah, uh, look, and I to credit where due. I, I think David French wrote a good article about this over the weekend Fantastic, called uh, "When yeah. yeah When Our Forefathers Fail" over at the Dispatch. But the same thing. Uh, I, I had lunch with Alan Cross, who sometimes writes for the Bulwark. It's always great if you ever see his mm-hmm. byline in the Bulwark. Uh, a few a few months ago now, and, and we were kind of talking about this subject. He he's, uh, was a preacher in the South uh, for a while, and had wrote, wrote a book about racial reconciliation in the South. And he was talking about the the Birmingham church bombing uh yeah. kkk bound in the fort girls and I, i'm sitting at this lunch i have to tell you i i like i knew it you know i, I had heard about this right like it was it wasn't something that i was like I, i'd never heard about this but i boy i did not know any of the details you know mm-hmm. I, I certainly don't think that i was taught at the extent that i'd heard about it was you know, mentioned in a you know on a litany in a speech one day or something but um my familiarity to it was not nearly to the degree that i, I wish it had been um, go, going back after lunch and reading about it. And that's the same thing as, as Tulsa, right? It's the same notion. There's a similar instance in Wilmington, North Carolina, going back to the late 1800s. And and, and it sort of led me down these rabbit holes of, of reading about other instances of this. And 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 it is it was intentional. It was going to great effort to to whitewash this pun intended uh, to put um, you know to to help pe- to make people forget what happened so as not to stir a backlash that you know sort of the established powers um, in the in the country didn't want and and um, uh, you know I, you can see this happening in real time right now. Right with one with the sixth, you know, you can see this right. happening in real time, right? I and mean, this is all tied together. I and mean, there's just there is a is a line and a parallel between between Tulsa and you know I'm sure what we'll get into with the with the commission and yeah. and you know not wanting to talk about this. So you know I, it, it it is um, I, I think really excellent that Biden is there today, and I think that this is really important and um, it, it's important for you know we've talked about this on other podcasts, but for 
you know, white Americans in particular, and 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 this also ties to the debate right now around schools and what to teach in schools and how to teach our history right. and how to look at our history. And it's important for young people for this to be part of the curriculum, right? The good and I, the bad, right? Look, this is this is the kind of the point I was going to get to. This is not about wokeness. This is not about white guilt. This is this is history. This is fact. This is something that we need to to deal with. But again, you know, this is part of this question of what is history for? Is history to make us feel good? About ourselves? Is, is it to push a specific narrative? Or is history to learn about, you know, the, the vagaries of, 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 our, of our culture, of our past, of what we have overcome, what we need to deal with? And we're, you know, going back and forth. And unfortunately, there are a lot of folks, um, our, our former allies on the right, who are convincing themselves that any of this sort of recalibration or, or re revisitation of history is somehow you know a betrayal of the country that is teaching people to hate the country or that it's racist it's like no we need to be open to this we really do and let me tell you a thought that i've had just i'm and this is like a a half digested thought which is probably okay. more appropriate for a podcast than for an article okay so i remember you know and I can't remember, you know, where I sort of got this idea. And again, I'm not, I'm not proud of, of all of this, you know, reading about, you know, the, the, the Russians and the Armenian, you know, and, uh, and the Turks and the, uh, the Armenian massacre, or, you know, the Russians, um, you know, the, the millions of, uh, of, of Kulaks were killed or reading up obviously about the Holocaust and Germans. I remember being um, in a ravaged church in, in France and, and thinking, what was it about these people that they were capable of doing these terrible things? And, and, and what is it about Americans that we are not capable of being this? Are we, a, I really had this sort of this accept, this is when I was thinking of Americans being exceptional that we didn't do things like the Russians, the Germans, the Turks, the French did to one another. And that is completely not true. Okay. There, no, there's no parallel to the, the mass. I, please don't un, get me wrong about this. I am not saying that there's a parallel to the Holocaust or anything. But when you look at the history of all of this, I think it's a reminder that humanity is humanity and that Americans are not exempt from the original sin of humanity. And I think that, by the way, is a profoundly conservative thought. That's not a liberal guilt thought, is that we we may have greater aspirations at one time, but we're still the same people, and we have committed. The, you know, the, we we are capable of doing awful things, and that's one of the things that Tulsa reminds us of. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that, and and I think that it also is important that it's it's a reminder that it is present, right? Like that history is present. Right. I mean, this is cliche, but uh, you know, we we talked about this a, a couple times ago when I was on about just how recent some of this stuff is, right? I, I mean, you know, Tulsa now is hundred years, so I think there were three, two or three survivors that will be there today, um, but. Uh, you know, you look at the Birmingham instance that I mentioned earlier, and and there are very, very much people that were cheering on the bombers, uh, you know, who are still with us, right? And so this is not to say that we should be, you know, going door to door hunting, you know, former KKK sympathizers and their at, at senior citizens' homes in Alabama or anything like that. But it's, it's important to remember that this is part of us, right? That that if we do not learn for this that, you know, we, we cannot just put it in a box and say, oh, okay, this was something that happened 50 years ago, right? And now, and now it's over. Uh, you know, that, that's not how, it's not how this stuff works. So no, it's I, not. I think, I think Biden being there today is, is, is excellent. And I think this is another instance, either okay. just really quick, where Biden is uniquely suited for, for this moment, right? I, I think that this is unfortunate that, that, you know, in some ways, Obama, you know, being the first black president, I think felt like I think he was correct that, you know, he couldn't break through on some of this stuff um, with certain audiences. Right. That, you know, it just seemed like, oh, of course, you'd say that. And, you know, it would inflame tensions even more. And, you know, maybe Biden can have an opportunity to break through with, with some folks by by sort of, re, you know, sort of re-elevating this and, and, and raising the conversation. OK, so speaking of dystopian topics. Because I've actually back, backed into all of this because this was my, my newsletter today is coups and the rumors of coups, which and I, I admitted to you, we were chatting before this that I was feeling a little bit, you know, slightly a little bit, you know, a little, little bit, uh, I won't say nervous. Nervous is not the right word, but just, you know, taking something like a coup seriously because coups, coups are crazy, right? I mean, coups are unthinkable, except that you have the former national security advisor to the president appearing to endorse. Let, let's let's start by by playing 
Uh, Michael Flynn, uh, again, retired three-star general, former national security advisor to the president, being asked about why we couldn't have a coup like the military junta in Myanmar, which, by the way, is one of the most brutal juntas in the... Yeah, yeah well, it's, the, it's, it's mispronounced. The, the audio is not great, but here it is. Here's the exchange. I want to know why what happened in Myanmar can't happen here. No reason. I mean, it should happen. No reason. One more. One more. One more. Okay, so that's that's not that's if you listen carefully, somebody they ask about the Myanmar mispronounces it Myanmar. Clearly, the the crowd knows it is referring to a military coup. You know, uh, the hunt has killed about eight hundred people. Uh, they they overturn elections. They shoot people. They they arrest dissidents. And then you have Powell, uh, who who says uh, it could happen. It should happen. And this, of course, <clears throat> excuse me, is not the first time that. Uh, Michael Flynn has danced on that ragged edge of insurrection. Uh, he was uh, he, he was talking about martial law before uh, January 6th. He met with the president. And they talked about using the military perhaps to seize all the ballot boxes. And uh, so I and, and, and this comes out just a few minutes before, as you helpfully tweeted out, Tim, Maggie Haberman uh, tweets out that her sources are telling her and I'm not making this up that Donald Trump is telling people that he expects to be reinstated as president by August. Okay, cue, cue my head just exploding. Uh, okay, so this is, this is okay, before we do, okay, so, so the, Sidney, Powell, Sidney Powell, who's also crazy, um, yeah. but who met with the president in the White House. At one time, Donald Trump was considering naming her as special counsel. This is what she said over the weekend. Okay, listen to her. That he can simply be reinstated, that a new inauguration date is set. Who are you fucking people? And Biden is told to move out of the White House. Biden. And 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 President Trump should be moved back in. I, I'm sure there's not going to be credit for time lost, unfortunately. Because the Constitution itself sets the date for inauguration. But he should definitely get the remainder of his term and and make the best of it. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Tim, I, I'm, it's I, kind I, of I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm lost. I, it's kind of odd uh, where the Constitution comes into play here. It's like yeah. <laughs> we're playing this all fan fiction. It's like, well, he's not going to get, you know, it's time served on this. It's like, why Why not um, at this point? Uh, you know, we're really moving into, you know, one flew over the cuckoo's nest uh, territory here. I mean, this is, uh, you know, Mar-a-Lago, I think, is 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 uh, a psych ward. Um, if, if he really thinks that he, that even if he doesn't really think he's going back in August, if he really thinks that other people might think that he you know, will be, I mean, this is a sign of somebody who has, you know, lost grip on, on, you know, what's happening in, in, in the conversation. And, he's and lost grip that, on reality, but not on the Republican party. Which yeah. is, again, this and he is, always has, right. It was, I think it was sort of like in, in office, he, you know, uh, I think this is a weird counterintuitive thought, but like the amount of time he spent watching cable TV like, uh. kept him tethered to reality a little bit. I do think that he is fully into OAN world now, right? And 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 is just surrounding himself with these crazies and people that'll tell him what they want to hear, and then the people that show up at Mar-a-Lago. I mean, the the scariest part about these clips is not that Lindsay or not, excuse me, not that Sidney Powell has you know gone off the deep end. It's the cheering. Right. I mean, yeah, these are yes. full rooms of people that are cheering and screaming and going for this. Right. And you know, cool, these cool. Same, yeah, same people are going to Mar-a-Lago. I and mean, there's this old, you know, sort of uh, uh, thing about presidential campaigns, right, is no matter how low you are, no matter, you know, when I was working for John Huntsman, we were at 2%. You know, we would still walk through the street of New York and you'd have one person be like, Huntsman, I'm with you. 
you know, and you never know if that person is just trolling you or if they really were with you. I mean, you see a lot of people when you're walking down the street in New York. If you're at 1%, you know, you pass by 100 people pretty quickly. Uh, and so, I, you know, there are enough insane people to tell Trump, right, that, that, that now see him. They go to Mar-a-Lago and they say, you know, as you say, coo, coo, coo. So, so you get this in your head. You're like, the people really do want me. The people really are for me. So. Uh, he he is in this disreality, you know, Oregon State Hospital bubble down there at Mar-a-Lago, and and I don't know, uh, you know, how that is going to get broken. And 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 as your as your your point, uh, you know, is that he's got this grasp on the party. Uh, people have to go along with this, right? Uh, and you know, or ignore it, or do the. It's the same thing as I didn't see the tweets thing. Uh, you know, it it is a dangerous little game that everybody's playing and and it definitely feels like very similar to the same conversations that you and I were having in November and December of last year and, well, and one, the lead up to the insurrection. one of the things I did today when I was you know writing about uh, the, the the Mike Flint thing I, I figured you know, let's let's just go back to what happened between the election and uh, and January 6th and you know it, it was it's been so intense that it is easy to forget how much concern there was about this talk about martial law, invoking the Insurrection Act, using Homeland Security to seize voting machines. And, you know, before people go, oh, Charlie, you guys are just, you know, there's more of this hysterical stuff. Um, people in the military took it seriously enough that they issued statements. You had Mark Milley, who had, to, you know, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who felt it necessary to say that the military would have no role whatsoever in the election. You had all 10 living former secretaries of defense sign that amazing uh, op-ed piece saying, hey, you know, coups were really bad. You really don't want to have the military involved in this in any way. They felt that it was necessary to say that out loud, which indicates how concerned they were about the kinds of things that were going on in the Oval Office. And think about the president of the United States plotting for all of those weeks and all of those months to overturn the election, including the possibility of using the military. This happened. This has been documented. And yet, and then we see how how it results in the insurrection on January 6th and what happens on Friday. But the Republicans in the Senate go, hey, we need to move on. We, 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 we do it. We don't want to relitigate that. Let's memory hold that. Let's let's erase that from memory. Let's kill the January 6th commission. And you read the history and you go, wait, this wasn't that long ago. <laughs> it is a real clear and present and ongoing danger. How come you people don't see this? But you know what? They're still raising money off the guy. Yeah. You you make this point in the art in, in the newsletter yeah. that I think is really important because this is this is kind of a tough thing for people to balance in their brains. Um or you know, for some people have struggled to balance in their brains, some people use this argument as a way to kind of excuse their behavior. Uh, and that is that uh, there doesn't have to be an actual coup for this to be dangerous. Right. Uh, you know, there's a lot of negative uh, externalities that could happen from a former president and former top ranking generals calling for a coup, you know, for, for having what, whatever it is, 40, 50 million people thinking that he's the legitimate president in exile. There are a lot of negative things that could happen as a result of that. That's short of Joe Biden getting moving out of the office in August, which obviously isn't going to happen. Right. Um, no. And so I, I think that. Uh, you know, to, to your point um, about also the military, uh, you have to remember that letter. You know, there were 120 retired yeah. military leaders that signed that letter saying that the election was stolen for Trump. Uh, I, you, you do worry about like these institutions being corrupted by all of this, you know, and you have out there, you know, Dan Crenshaw and, and Tom Cotton, you know, have that new sign up form this, that they put out at the end of last week. It's like if, if wokeism is infecting your unit in the military, you know, complain to us here and we'll publicize it. It's like, okay, I, you know, I, we'll see what they come up with with that. But I don't know. I'm pretty concerned with the 120 generals who are supporting of a military coup. I mean, I think that's something that maybe the, the oversight committee on Congress should be looking into. And I think that there's a, that is much deeper, much infected, much deeper into the military right now than concerns about critical race theory. Uh, yes, I do think that that, yes, and that's the problem is that these people are there. So I, in, in, again, I, I don't want to keep, you know, talking about my newsletter here, but I, I actually have been thinking about this for a, a couple of weeks, what, to pay any attention to this because, uh, 
you know, American Greatness is kind of this uber Trumpy publication and a lot of very prominent, you know, pro Trumpy types, MAGA types write for it, right? It's in that world. And they published this article by this retired army colonel named Douglas McGregor, openly speculating about the need for a coup. You could tell he's a coup fetishist. He's really excited about it. He wants the military to have a coup in France. And then he thinks that would be a good model for the American military, you know, for our guardians of national order and security to step up and take back this country from the globalists and the multiculturalists like Mark Milley, the chairman of the joint. I mean, this is bad stuff. And it, it's tempting to say, okay, this is a guy's a flake. He's a crackpot. But, but you know, here's the r- reminder. He had been named the U.S. ambassador to Germany by Donald Trump. Uh, it didn't happen because of the election, but this was also the guy that Trump called in after the election uh, to names a senior advisor to the acting uh, secretary of defense to oversee all the withdrawal of American troops from Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq, everywhere around the world. Uh, This is a guy that had Trump's ear that Trump really wanted to put in an important position. And Axios wrote about all this. So this is not some guy, you know, on, you know, 4chan or Gab. This is the guy that the president had appointed ambassador to Germany. I mean, he might appointed. have also been on 4chan or Gab. Well, exactly. So, I mean, this is this is what's, what, what is kind of what is kind of alarming about all of this. So. Oh, and and what well, it wasn't about the ambassadorship to Germany that it attracted such pro coup radicals, you know, with Rick Grinnell's trying to steal the Nevada election, McGregor. And I don't know why the Trump, you know, uh, spotted Germany for his for his you know craziest uh, uh, rabid fanboys in the ambassadorship. Okay, so. I, I know this is something you've written about. So, 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 yeah. t- t- tell the people what the NRCC is. Just what it stands for. And sure, RCC. it's a National Republican Congressional Committee. It's uh, it's uh, it's a campaign committee, basically that oversees all the House races. Right. Okay. So so this is independent from the. This is not the the Trump campaign. This is the campaign that is raising money for Republican congressional candidates. They should be focused on twenty twenty two. Right. So I'm looking at their latest fundraising appeal, where of course they continue to have these recurring boxes. If you check the box, then you know. They'll take money out of your account over and over and over again. And I want to read you from this appeal. Um, it's your contribution will benefit NRCC. Hey, it's Mark from House GOP HQ. You are marked as inactive, all in caps. And leadership asked me to check into triple check, all in caps. We haven't lost you to the radical left. If you uncheck this box, all in caps, I will be forced to tell them you've deserted Trump for socialism. Change your status to active, all in caps, equals win back the House and get Trump to run in 2024. Make this a monthly recurring donation. Well, So this is what the House Republicans are doing. They're not only, you know, playing that particular card, but they're like aligned themselves on Trump 2024 as as well. Not necessary, but apparently, well, maybe it is necessary to to keep in good graces. Uh, Here's why they're doing this, Charlie. They're doing this because it works. Yeah, and that's sad, right? It's sad. It's sad in the one level that it works that 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 is where the Republican base is right now. After everything we've been through, they Trump twenty twenty four is the thing that's most likely to give them money, not stopping the Biden agenda or whatever it is that they pretend that they want to talk about. Not you know coming up with whatever you know, putting Kevin McCarthy in the speakership so they could pass some policies. They don't give a shit about policies. Like what they want is is Trump and the big middle finger as Rich Lowry called it before the election to the elites and the left and all the people they hate. And so that's why they fundraise on Trump 2024. It is, uh, you know, I mean, the man is calling for a coup this morning. So it is alarming that one of the largest campaign committees is is basically running, you know, campaigning on the idea that he runs again. Uh, Also, you can think that they'd be neutral in a 2024 primary. But Ah, you know, this is all part of this game. It's all part of this game in order to get as many bucks in as they can. And it's a little wink and nod. And they think that they're so clever and they probably laugh about it sitting in their headquarters there across from the Capitol South Metro. And so... You know, I, I, the, it's uh, that's the one element that, that's scary. The other thing is, it's it's sad, right? And like, the, 
people are getting fooled by this, right? I mean, like we look at this and say, this is so ridiculous. This is so preposterous, but they wouldn't do it if people weren't getting fooled. Right. Like the reason why they're doing it is because if you un- if you leave that box checked, that means that every month they get to withdraw from your account. And we know from The New York Times reporting that the Trump campaign fooled people with this and, and people weren't able to pay their bills, their rent, their heat. And, and now these campaign, these Republican committees are copying that and they're fooling largely older, less Internet savvy MAGA voters and they're taking their money and this is again just part of how this whole shtick that they try to put forward about how they're the ones who really care about the 75 whoops 74 million uh people that voted for they don't give a fuck about these people they're stealing their money uh they, they led them five of them at least to die at the Capitol over the over, over the big lie and you know they led them to these rallies where they uh, you know some of them attracted uh, you know contracted the novel coronavirus uh, they don't care about these people at all they're using them and they're lying to them and they're scamming them and 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 it's working so I, I need to clarify something um, yeah, o- sure. o- over over the weekend while most of us were kicking back and doing stuff. You you were in this uh, massive uh, Twitter war with a billionaire, by the way. You know, I mean, well, that's, I need to get it, off Twitter. It is not every day that a billionaire calls you a liar and a whore. Or, or see, this is what I wasn't clear about. Were, were you the liar and the whore, or were all of us at the bulwark the li- liars, whores, and grifters? This is this is Clifford Asness, A S N E S S, big big time funder of conservative groups, a, a kind of anti-Trump up until this debate over the January sixth commission. Apparently, that was at the breaking point or something that that he's decided that yes, he was in favor of the impeachment, but he thinks that the he thought that the commission was a total partisan scam and that. Everybody at the bulwark, um, say, unlike the dispatch, um, everybody at the bulwark are, are liars, whores, and, and grifters. And or is it just you? What I'm, uh, I think that it's clear just, this up for me. I think I it's just me who's arrogant, and all of us are liars, whores, and grifters. Uh, is, is as best as I could tell. It was hard to kind of dissect the syntax of his many, many tweets uh, at me. Uh, so that's the best that I could tell. Yeah, I mean, look, again, it's uh, it's hard to, you know, to just, is it worth bringing this up? But I mean, this is not, nobody goes on CNBC. He, he, he's a funder of major, of a lot of different Republican and conservative groups. Uh, as you said, he's a billionaire. He got obviously a lot of time on his hands. And he's funded um, a chair in Applied Liberty at the American Enterprise Institute. There, there is a Clifford Asnes chair of Applied Liberty and and he's basically saying, oh, it's liars and whores on, on Twitter. So I guess, you know, it's that would be yeah, the, I mean, look, that, that would be the serious side. I guess. This well, this is the thing, right? I mean, he's he's in this Paul Ryan kind of wing that that is that is dead, right? And so so I, I understand that he lashes out and I think that they he looks at us and says Oh, well, I mean, you know, Trump's gone now and, and you know, they're throwing in with the socialists. I mean, I, I don't I don't follow Cliff that closely. I'm sure he voted for, you know, Edmund Burke or Ronald Reagan's ghost or whatever, instead of actually voting for Joe Biden and, and, and the clearest head to head election matchup of my lifetime. But, uh, you know, I, you know, he, he, he says I was oh, I was I, I was for the impeachment. You know, that was this is his big yeah. thing. It's like if I throw one anti-Trump thing out there, then that justifies attacking and maligning uh, people who are in good faith trying to stop this grave threat to our country, the threat that led to the January 6th insurrection. And yeah, apparently he was triggered by the fact that um, those of us at the bulwark are pushing for the one six commission, uh, you know, which he thinks is, I don't know, a partisan witch hunt or whatever. I I can't get into, I can get into his head, but it, it, um, you know, I think it it, it is. I think the, the implication was, in, yeah, yeah. It, the, the implication was that 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 we had just abandoned every principle we'd have, right? That 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 it was not just that we were anti-Trump, but that we'd abandoned all conservative ideas. And 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 look, I mean, the, you know, there's there's two ways of responding. To that number one, you know, I, I think a lot of us are in very very different places about all of that, but. I don't know how you don't rethink your positions after something like what's happened over the last four years. It, and it's funny how it was, if you stay loyal to Trump, you can rethink any position at all on anything. Right. And it's OK. But if you break with Trump and you go, 
hey, maybe conservatives were not completely sincere on issues <laughs> like, um, uh, yeah. like, for example, on character, on, on, on race. <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe we ought to rethink um, the, the conservative legacy on some of these things. Then suddenly you become a, a grifter or a whore and a, a liar or whatever. I don't yeah, I, don't, I mean, he does obviously had no okay. idea who I was and was just probably had a few drinks and was popping off. And so I, like, I don't think those actual arguments are that interesting because he hadn't, hadn't read anything that I'd written was very clear based on his extended uh, rant. Uh, but I, I, I think that it's interesting. It's worth bringing up because it's an it, interesting insight into the mindset of, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of folks that just aren't giving up the ghost on this, right? And, and, and I think that Trump benefits, this goes back to that Perry Bacon article uh, that was in the Washington Post a while back about how that Trumpism actually could be stopped if people like Cliff Asinus were willing to set aside their concerns about the marginal tax rate for a few years to stop it uh, and 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 re- and then reinvigorate the Republican Party through a different way. But th- there is a very... Uh, you know, not there. There are not very many of them. They, they don't have any power within the Republican Party. Uh, but the Republican Party has power over them, and they're holding folks who who sort of have these, you know, this sort of vestigial idea of what the Republican Party is and of their old views and their unwillingness to let go of it. Um, and, and so they're going along with a lot of you know the enabling that Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy and everybody else are doing of. This very dangerous anti-democratic demagogue, um, and and they look at us and they get mad because we're not going along with them. Yeah, and and again, I just I I think that we're we're having an internal discussion even at the bulwark. There's no bulwark party line. We don't sit around and decide what we're going to support. Um, and as I said, I, I I think that you know some of us have taken different positions. I I think that some people are more comfortable with aligning with you know the Democrats than than others. I certainly don't think that I am a you know a, a, a liberal or a progressive at, at all. On the other hand, I'm not, I'm not going to say that that I'm locked into zombie Reaganism as a result, or 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 I'm not going to rethink uh, the alliances um, after after four years of, of of Trump. How do you not look around and go? Okay, so uh, this party was not what I thought it was at all. This movement was not what I thought it was. Uh, many of the things they claimed to support uh, were either invalid or completely insincere. And I think that if you're not engaging in that kind of massive rethinking, if you think you could simply go to a reset and go, okay, so that happened, let's go back to having the exact same conversations that we used to have five years ago, that seems to me to be crazy. Uh, but people are uh, tense. By the way, speaking of which, this was interesting that. He attacked you for uh, being excessive, apparently excessively anti-Trump. Um, the week that you had that uh, fantastic video that you do on uh, Not My Party, where you pointed out the the dangers of reflexive anti-Trumpism, and of course we're talking about the the uh, the, the, the you know you know everyone just assuming that Trump and Pompeo could not possibly be right about about the possibility that the COVID uh, nineteen had been created in that Wuhan lab, and we still don't know the answer to that. But you know this is part of the problem of. Of you know if if everything Trump says is wrong that you know I mean rushing to take the opposite position reflexively you you end up in well you end up in a problematic situation yeah and look uh, no, nobody can uh, you know sort of outflank me on on my rabid loathing of Donald Trump uh, mm-hmm. but I right I mean this is the you know it's the old line about broken clocks or whatever and 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 I try in in the not my party videos if you're not watching them I, I hope you would or, or point yeah. your local teen to them on Snapchat because I, th- <laughs> this is the most people that watch it are 18 to 25 and I'm trying to offer these uh, these folks live in an information bubble of their own and, and they're hearing from you know this largely sort of AOC, you know, sort of left, um, and and you know a lot of them have, have fair points they're making, uh, you know, or they're hearing from this Charlie Kirk nationalist right, and so I'm just trying to give them some insight sometimes into what's happening in the news and say you don't have to reflexively pick this team, like you don't if you want to be on AOC's team that's fine, if you want to be on Charlie Kirk's team you're an idiot, but 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 you know there are other options out there and. 
and and everyone shouldn't feel like that they have to participate in this performative online fight. And so I, I look for issues where, where we can sort of talk about that. And this and the and the lab theory, which it's unclear what the truth is uh, about it, but that's the point. We should figure out what the truth is. Right? We we should look to to experts. And and I understand why people last year in 2020 said, okay, we well, have these scientists are saying one thing, and crazy Donald Trump saying another thing. I'm siding with these scientists. But, you know, it turns out that, you know, the scientists had a conflict. This happens. You know, Donald Trump isn't the only person in the world who uh, acts unethically, right? Like there are other people out there who have agendas, um, who have arguments they're trying to make. And when it comes to something as important as a virus that killed three million people, well, we better try to figure it out. And if it is true that it came accidentally out of a lab leak, then hopefully there are things that we could learn from this about lab safety and, you know, other precautions. Maybe there, maybe we shouldn't be doing certain kinds of types of research in China. If we can't trust, you know, that they're going to put the precautions in place that you'd expect, you know, this isn't my area of expertise, but there are experts out there. You know, I turn to Scott Gottlieb and others who, who, who think that this is really important uh, so that we can, you know, take lessons for it from the future. And, and, and so um, this is just one example of this kind of reflexive tribalism. Uh, I think that, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be in a pretty good standing going against everything Donald Trump says. You're probably going to be right 80% of the time or 90 or more. But, uh, but you know, it's important that we, that we not let our entire political discourse, you know, be um, degraded into just sort of reflexive opposition to whatever the other tribe wants. No, that, that's an excellent point. And I think that there's got to be a lot of uh you know, looking in the mirror and the part of, of the media, the way they handled that. On the other hand, and I just have to point this out. One of the reasons why it is a bad idea to lie um, chronically is that when you eventually get it right, people won't believe you. <laughs> this is, this is yeah. the, the, the fact that people did not believe Donald Trump was not a completely knee-jerk, irrational uh, response, <laughs> considering the fact that almost everything that came out of his mouth that was self-serving turned out to be a lie. If somebody lies to you over and over and over again, you are uh, more inclined and, and, and maybe even justified in being very skeptical about everything they say. And this is something that, that Donald Trump inflicted on himself. Look, I'm not letting people off the hook for their you know, tribal reflexiveness uh, or the media for not doing a better job on all of this. But I think we do need to put it in context that you know, if, if somebody lies to you 20 times in a row and then they get it right that 21st time, Whose fault is it that you don't immediately believe that twenty that that one thing that he says that might actually have some merit? I mean, this is yeah. this is well, and can I just say this? The even and even in this case, it's not like Donald Trump was like right per se. You know, what I mean? no, it's not like he like looked that. at no. the research and and came up with a you know thoughtful answer. I you know, and he was just throwing shit against the wall to see what sticks. And one of the things that he said happens to be we don't even know, like maybe possibly right. Like we need to look into it. Right? We what Biden did was the correct approach. He put out a statement um, uh, last week around the time of the uh, put out the Not My Party video where where he said you know we need to look in you know do. He did what a normal president would do, right? He said, let's look into this. We're going to, you know, I've got some experts that think one thing, some experts that think another. You know, we're going to focus on it. We're going to put out a report in 90 days and see where, you know, see where people land. I mean, that's the right thing to do. And 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 so, you know, it, it does, it is understandable, especially where it's also worth mentioning, if we're going to get on this topic, that Donald Trump was, if anything, uh, uh, too um, generous to China, for the first, the important first three months, right? I mean, one of the interesting things when I was researching this video I, I, that I didn't know that Josh Rogan has in his in his new book about China, uh, just as a little news nugget, is remember when Trump said that this virus would, be, would go away by April? And he's like, people oh, yeah. are saying it'll go away in the heat. It'll go away at the heat. Uh, the people are saying that. The people who were saying that in that instance was Chairman Xi. Uh, uh, Trump was on a call with she where she promised him that this was the kind of thing that goes away with the heat. And then Trump just, you know, word vomited that out the next time that he was in front of the camera. So he was spreading Chinese propaganda on his own. It wasn't just, you know, uh, the media or other, you know, these scientists who, who were, were um, you know, influenced by this. So I, that's also an important thing to say before you, you know, go giving them too much credit. No, I just, I, we, have, yeah. we have to, we have to throw this out. So um, among the more, um, the surprisingly interesting stories out of a uh, weekend where everybody else was off. Texas legislature was working through the middle of the night to try to uh, pass one of these uh, voter reform suppression bills. 
And the the Democrats blocked it at the last minute by walking out on mass. And because it turns out that you need to have two thirds of the members present to have a quorum. So they deprived them of a quorum. And so this bill, this elections bill was was killed. The governor, the Republican governor, Governor Abbott, is threatening the nuclear option that he's going to cut off all funding for the legislature if they don't come back and, quote unquote, do their job. Let's give me your take on this, because this is wild stuff. And this, I mean, this was kind of electrifying and it certainly, you know, puts the spotlight back on, OK, we're prepared to do this. What, what are you Democrats in Washington prepared to do? Yeah, I think it was good that the Democrats used all the procedural tools at their uh, disposal here in Texas. I think it's the kind of hardball you have to play in a situation like this. Now, this is just based on my understanding, just going to kind of kick the can a couple months, right? Because they have a, a, yeah. a session with redistricting or whatever, where they have to come back in. Um, and, and you know, where the Republicans will have, you know, since they have the majority uh, in the Texas Senate and House will be able to do this. But I, I think it was important, not just procedurally, but also as a messaging stand. You know, if this kind of ties us back to the Cliff Asnesses of the world, there are a lot of Cliff Asnesses in, in Dallas and Houston, right? And, and, and for the Democrats to actually do to Texas what they did to Georgia, they need to, to highlight uh, how extreme the Republican legislature and governor is in that state on issues that, that these the former Republicans or swing voters are, are aligned with them on, right? Like that's not going to be energy issues, right? I mean, it's going to be this, um, you know, maybe in some cases in the urban areas, it's the crazy, you know, gun laws they pass where now you don't have to get any, you know, any, do any sort of background check or training or anything to, to, to uh, uh, get a license in te- or you don't even need a license now in Texas. So I, they, they need to figure out a way to message and break through just how irresponsible um, it is in the hopes of uh, kind of mitigating Republican gains in Texas, because, I, you know, there were a lot of Democratic votes in Texas in a, in a state that is that is pushing, you know, an Alabama style agenda right now. And so, you know, that that uh, I think what the Texas Democrats are doing is there's something interesting there, you know, that maybe other Democrats can look to both from a messaging perspective as well as a procedural and tactical one. OK, so um, Florida, get a, get, get a minute to talk about Ron DeSantis for a second, because I, I'm I am I'm still fascinated by his approach to the whole coronavirus, including uh, his ban on the use of vaccine passports. And, and this has really come to a head with the cruise industry. The cruise industry wants to get back into business. And this is a private company, a private business. They would like to assure that their passengers that they are safe by requiring proof of vaccination. And DeSantis is taking the position that the government is going to prov- prov- is going to bar, prohibit private companies from taking that step. And the cruise industry is step- pushing back going, hey, you know, this is going to be a problem for us. We really would like to get going again. Governor, could you give us, you know, cut us a little bit of slack here. But it's the inversion again of what it means to be a conservative that it used to be the conservatives were against government telling private companies what they could do. But it's also last night I was reading like this is where I'm, I'm going to connect maybe dots, whatever. But I, I was I was reading Karen Tumulty's outstanding book on Nancy Reagan. And it reminded me of the debate in the Reagan administration about how to deal with AIDS. And the conservative position back in the 1980s about AIDS was we should have mandatory AIDS testing wherever possible. One group after another should be required uh, to have AIDS testing. So conservatives went from when it's an AIDS, we need to require all sorts of testing and, and, and documentation to now the conservative position is you can't require anything at all when it, when it involves a pandemic that has killed nearly 600,000 Americans. Americans. So I mean, what, 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 this is what you have to read. What does it mean to be a conservative, these conservative values that we keep talking about? Which ones? You know, DeSantis or what? Yeah, I mean, we could do an entire yeah. other podcast on the AIDS hypocrisy. Uh, but um, uh, so uh, obviously that's right. I, you know, the DeSantis thing is just so interesting. I, I, I'm still not exactly sure why he became the COVID hot button, given that like he ended up having kind of a median response. I mean, every uh, the DeSantis wasn't that different than Kevin Stitt of Oklahoma, I, you know, I guess because the state is bigger than Abbott, for that matter. Um, uh, you know, his, his choices weren't all that different from Abbott's. 
the vaccine passport thing, especially with the um, cruise lines, right? I, I mean, you would think that getting, you know, not only is it a hip, hip, hypocritical when it comes to individual freedom, Charlie, and our freedom of businesses to do, you know, what they feel is necessary to keep their uh, customers safe, uh, but it's also hypocritical. It also just goes against this, you know, what used to be a party that that was pro business, you know, wanted to help yeah. business get back going, right? I mean, I mean the 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 cruise lines, which are a big part of the Florida industry, you know, should be, uh, uh, you know, they should be concerned about their bottom line, getting them going, getting people back on cruise ships, getting people vaccinated. And this seems like a win-win, right? If maybe you could lure some people who are vaccine skeptical, who like going on their little cruise <laughs> every summer uh, uh, to get that, to get their jab. It's just such an obvious, obvious win-win. Um, and, uh, you know, again, and, you know, there, there is a, a related conversation you know, with a friend that works in the travel industry who is mad at the Republican Florida senators that they're not pushing and, and DeSantis that they're not pushing by the Biden administration harder on something that I, I agree the Biden administration is 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 maybe behind the eight ball on, which is allowing tr- tourist travel, vaccinated tourists to come to America. Right. Like shouldn't the floor of all places, shouldn't the Florida senators and governors be the ones who are out there banging this drum and saying, why can't vaccinated tourists come to America? You know, mm, like Disneyland is struggling, mm, you know, should, mm-hmm. right? But, but they're not doing it because they're afraid to get out there and, and say anything that would be pro-vaccine because they're afraid about the backlash that will come from the anti-science base. So, uh, you know, I, there's a lot of layers to this. And and I think that DeSantis, unfortunately, has, has navigated it pretty deftly just from as a political matter uh, of, you know, obviously his political standing has increased significantly over the last year. Uh, but, you know, the, this this is, a, I, I think, a mistake. Um, and, and you know, we'll, we'll, be a, we'll be a talking point for people. Do, do you notice what we haven't talked about today on Tuesday, June 1st? What we have not talked about? Okay, we didn't talk not. about that. Well, we, we, could, we could talk about <laughs> that in, well, in, the, in the next podcast. We don't talk about the fact that on, on, on Friday, the Senate GOP killed the independent January 6th commission. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up because you're into, into the whole messaging thing, it strikes me as it, it feels like political malpractice for the Democrats to have let the, uh, the Senate off the hook, let them vote on a Friday before a long weekend to kill that yeah. commission when they could have – you know, uh, you know, waited, you know, till this week. I, I, I just, just your thoughts on this, because I'm thinking, you know, anything that happens on, on a, on a Friday of a long weekend is inevitably forgotten by the next week. So why did they do it that way? Why did they have that vote on Friday? Yeah, and it got extended, and and I don't think this was a big, you know, strategic point by anybody. It was just, you know, like Ron Johnson was being an asshole and like, you know, wanted to try to jam things into it, and so that extended the time. Then it ended up, you know, it was going to be. Well, you're talking about the, the the China bill too. So I mean, they they extended yeah. the China bill. You know. Right, but it was going to be Thursday night, right? Yeah, and then, right. then it was ended up being Friday. Right? I, I, I think so. I guess I wasn't following the floor as closely, but I think that's right. Um, uh, but it, would it have been much better if it was late Thursday night? I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't think so. I guess, but. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think that that's right, Charlie, um, that that was a messaging mistake. I, I think that the Democrats now need to look at this. I'm, I'm hopeful that what they see here is um, uh, the fact that they need to you know, take a lesson from the Texas Democrats when it comes to hardball and really lay the pain down when it comes to you know, the oversight committees and the democratic run committees, um, you know, in this, in the, everybody makes this comparison, but in the way that the Republicans did with Benghazi, um, they have to do this. And I, I get worried that the Democrats, you know, it's like, well, we do have to focus on infrastructure and we have to focus on this. We have to focus on that. We have to focus on this other priority and and it ends up getting lost. Right. And, and, and so I, I guess I'll reserve judgment uh, as to whether there is another a follow up plan here in order to continue to draw attention on this and maximize um, I think the the genuine investigations that need to happen, in addition to the political pain that should result, um, but uh, but we'll have to wait and see. I, I, I totally agree with you that that was an error. Tim Miller, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast and kicking off a new month. Appreciate it very much. Anytime, Charlie. See ya. And thank you all for listening to the Bulwark podcast today. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow, and we will do this all over again.